That was funny, amen. That little sweetie came up and put a put one of my prayer cards in the offering plate, amen. I'm not sure what that means. That might be symbolic of some some greater truth, amen. <laughs> I've got some strange things in offering plates. I was uh, conducting a Baptist history tour one time, and we passed the plate. I, I want to say it was for the driver or, or one of our special speakers, but I got an IOU, amen, and uh, from a guy that was going to hop in his car and drive. Uh, and get on an airplane and fly home, amen. But anyway, uh, never did get the money for that one. But anyway, I thought that was funny when she brought the prayer card up, amen. Well, I, I'll go through McDonald's and just see what I can get for you. You never know, amen. Uh, well, praise the Lord. All right, uh, let's take our Bibles. Go to Second Timothy, please. I do want to take a minute tonight and thank the church again for all your kindness through the years. And hopefully it won't be another eight years, amen, till we come back. Um, I hope that it's not. I hope that it's a, a lot sooner than that. I was standing out here on the porch today and uh, just reminiscing for a moment, I went out to get a breath of fresh air. I'm kind of a hot body, amen. I mean, I'm, I'm hot if it's 60, I'm starting to warm up, amen. And at 65, I'm starting to sweat, amen. But I went out to get a little bit of air and just stand on the porch out there, I... Uh, this was one of the very first churches we preached in when we launched out in evangelism. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's good to, just to get back to some of those places and reminisce about all God's done for you through the years. And just in the minute I had out there, I just thanked the good Lord for bringing us back to this place, just to remind us. He sure has been good to us. He's a wonderful Savior. I love him. And I want to thank him publicly tonight for just caring for us and loving us and being, a, being the darling Lord Jesus, the sweet Savior that he is. God has been good to each one of us. Amen. I'm thankful this church still stands, and I'm thankful this church still stands for the old King James Bible. It hasn't changed on that. Amen. And uh, just so you know, when we go down the road, our prayer will be that this church continues. Boy, there's been some change. Amen. And these fine folks in the back, amen, that speak another language, amen. Uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to see the church uh, go in that direction, being able to reach different people, of different nationalities, different language. And no doubt there will be some change and transition in the church in years to come. But no matter what, I just pray that this church will reach whoever God allows it to reach and will continue to stand on the old King James Bible and just be what God would have it to be, Amen. And just keep standing for truth. That's our prayer for you folks. And we, we pray that you'll pray for us also. If uh, there's any, if there's any uh, cards left after they all get up the offering plate, amen. We hope if you get one of those, you'll pray for us. In all seriousness, we, uh, we do conduct a Baptist Heritage Couples Tour that we have coming up in September. And uh, I know you probably know nothing at all about it, but it's a wonderful getaway, a retreat for pastors and their wives or just lay people and their wives, whatever the case is. And uh, this is the earliest of the Baptist history in America. What we do is go to different Baptist history sites. I'll lecture on the site, and then we'll uh, generally uh, sing some songs, and then we'll either cut people loose to couples to be able to go get something to eat or whatever the case is. We have uh, a special speaker, a pastor from Missouri coming, and he'll be speaking to couples about five times throughout our tour. But uh, it's a lot less rigorous than the men's tour, and it's a, it's a lot... Uh, uh, a lot more couple-oriented, amen, and the preaching's all geared towards couples. At any rate, we have two websites. We've got one called evangelistedalexander.com, 
And on that is our bookstore with all of our resources, uh, doctrinal statement, extensive doctrinal statement, family pictures, just things like that. And there's a link on there to the Baptist Heritage Revival Society. And uh, I am, I guess, uh, the director of the Baptist Heritage Revival Society. And the society exists for the purpose of disseminating uh, Baptist truth, amen, in, in the form of writings. Uh, we lecture. We do a lot of Baptist Heritage conferences and churches across the country. And uh, we're also conducting the tours, various different tours, and then uh, just a lot of different things we're doing with the Baptist sites. There are old Baptist sites that are broken down in need of repair. They're in disrepair. Uh, you'll be able to go on there and see some of the projects we've done. We have some things planned for the future we'd like to do uh, just to preserve our Baptist heritage and pass it on to our children. So at any rate, a couple websites uh, you can check out as well. Second Timothy tonight. Let's go ahead and jump in. I want to try to be a help to you. Second Timothy, and it's already 642, so I'm fighting the time already. Amen? Somebody told me today I was a long-winded preacher. I won't mention any names. Amen? But... Uh, I didn't say I argued, amen, I just said somebody said that, amen, and I, I know I am, but uh, I'm not going to apologize for it, I just, I just keep working on it, you keep praying for me, amen. Uh, you think that was long this morning, you haven't got a clue, amen. I am an hour and 15 minute revival preacher every night of my life, amen. Uh, I, I generally don't lose anybody, amen. Uh, a lot of times we get done, they say, man, I didn't realize it was that long, which is good. I speak fast enough, they have to hold, ha jump in and hang on, amen, and hopefully be able to get everything. That does help me to be able to speak fast, but uh, I don't want to keep you forever tonight. I just want to look at, uh, back at this text of Scripture we've been looking at, but let's start here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in. I want to comment as we go through this passage of Scripture for sake of time tonight. Our Father, I love you tonight. I thank you for the privilege and opportunity it is to be saved. I pray, Lord, your hand would be on uh, Mrs. Zadarsky, Lord, I pray that you continue to uh, guard her body and life, and Lord, just bless her, help her, keep her, uh, Lord, keep her out of pain, and Father, just uh, use her in these days, Lord, when uh, no doubt she's facing an uphill battle. God, I pray that you bless her, bless her family, bless her sons, uh, so many of them out serving you, Jesus, and I pray, dear God, you bless each one, bless their families, God, use them. Thank you for that posterity, Lord, that, uh, that lineage of, of those that will go on to continue to preach the gospel. Lord, I pray for Mr. Zadarsk. I pray he'd get saved before it's eternally too late, dear God. Oh, what a blessing it'd be to see him fall on his knees before Jesus and be saved. Dear God, I pray for all these special needs that have been asked about, Lord. Please answer each one according to thy will. Father, please bind the devils of hell from this place and I give us grace and liberty to be able to preach your truth tonight. Help us to receive it. And I pray, Lord, if there be one lost, they'd be saved tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. I want you to notice the Bible says the foundation of God has a seal. And you'll notice in a moment that's a twofold seal. The Bible said, First of all, the Lord knoweth them that are His. Everyone that is saved by the grace of God ought to be able to thank God tonight. Jesus knows you. If you try to deny him, it's not going to work. He still knows you. Amen. And I'm thankful tonight that God knows me. He knows that I'm his son and he cares about me very intimately. The Bible goes on today, rather here in this text, and says there's a second uh, part to this seal, to the foundation of God. That is simply this, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows who you are. He knows what you do. He watches everything. 
And therefore, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Understand just real quickly, it is the perfect will of God that we spend our lives literally in a departure from iniquity. That we are attempting to separate ourselves unto God and separate ourselves from iniquity, which is simply a transgression of the law. It's simply disobedience to God's word. We're trying to separate ourselves from constant disobediences to the word and the law of Almighty God. This is the expectation of God that everyone that is saved is supposed to do this. I know a lot of people have made professions, never attempted to depart from iniquity, but this is what God's desire is. Notice verse 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye for a moment. You've walked into a mansion. There in the mansion is owned by a very rich person, very important person in a worldly sense. Of course, right there in the front of the foyer, before you come to the massive spiral staircase and the big chandelier, you find beautiful vases and pictures, pottery, artifacts, things of that nature. The one that owns this house is going to place those out in the front, where that everybody, when they immediately come in, will be able to see those things and will be impressed and uh, will really uh, feel better about the person that owns a home, and it will elevate him in their mind if they see these great things that this man of the house has. The Bible said in a great house there are these kind of vessels. They're gold and they're silver. But you know, in every great house also, if we continue on past the foyer, down the hall, past the grand ballroom and past the library, way down the end of the hall, another door takes you through another door, and there's the old rotten uh, cleaning closet. Amen? And as you open the cleaning closet there, just like every other cleaning closet, has a nasty smelling bucket with a nasty smelling mop half full of old gray water. Maybe you'd walk into the bathroom and there if you'd open up the cabinet underneath, there's that plunger with some not so nice stuff still on the side of it, amen. Or the toilet brush or whatever the case is. You understand a house cannot function without those things and there they are in the mansion just as you'd expect to find them. God said in a great house there are vessels of gold and silver, that which the householder is proud of that he puts out in the front for everyone to see to reflect his character and his person. But there's also those of wood and of earth. And watch this, there's some to honor and some to dishonor. You understand, my friend, God is not necessarily just talking about uh, this man's household. He's talking about his household. He's talking about his kingdom. He's talking about the family of God. He's talking about your local church and my local church. What he's saying is that in God's economy, in God's family, there are vessels of gold and of silver. There are those also, though, of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. There's two types of vessels in God's household. Some bring God honor, and some bring God dishonor. Every one of us tonight, no doubt, we don't want to be recognized as the toilet cleaner, amen, in the closet somewhere. We want to be something that brings God glory, that God can be proud of, that makes God proud, that he can sit out on a shelf and say, look, this is a trophy of my grace. I've changed their life. They're in submission to me. Look at how I've worked in their heart and life. Say, so how do I become that vessel of honor? Watch what your Bible said. If a man therefore purge himself from these I believe there's a direct reference contextually back to verse number 19. Purging ourselves from iniquity. Purging ourselves from disobedience. Purging ourselves from breaking the law. Moving away from that and departing from that iniquity. If a man will purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel. Not the old plunger. 
not the old toilet cleaner, not the stinky mop, but a vessel unto honor. Now watch carefully, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. We cannot be exactly like Jesus in this lifetime, but we can become a trophy of grace. Through the process of sanctification, departing from iniquity, we can become trophies that God is proud of, that God will use not for our glory and not for our grace and not for our betterment, my friend, but for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. He will set us out as lights in a dark world. But in order to do that, we must be sanctified and spend our life in a departure from disobediences to the law of God. And so God, again, say, why do you show us this? Just thought I'd show you another passage that has every single thing to do with sanctification. Again, I'll remind you, the New Testament is absolutely filled with this doctrine of sanctification. Take your Bible, if you would, very quickly. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 with me. I want to show you a verse of Scripture. Do something a little unusual here this evening. I want to visit a verse of Scripture and then go exposit a passage of Scripture, and then come back to this verse of Scripture, and see if we don't have a better understanding as we try to compare Scripture with Scripture. It's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thought here in the Word of God that God has given us. But we talked much this morning about the process of sanctification and the formula for sanctification. Tonight I want to talk to you for just a little while about this subject. Listen carefully, and I'll define this word because it's not a word we commonly use but it fit and it had a P in it, amen, so I decided to use it, amen. And that is the permeation of sanctification. Now, we don't often use the word permeation, but we do use the root word permeate. Uh, anybody that likes a good pot of spaghetti sauce knows what it is. Open up the front door and say, Mama Mia, amen, the whole smell has permeated the house, amen. I remember when my dad used to make horseradish, amen. Run for the hills, brother, I guarantee it. A block away, man, walking home, you could smell dad's making horseradish, and it did more than permeate the house, it permeated the entire block. You could not stand to be in that home until the whole entire smell was dissipated. It was just that strong. That's what permeation means, okay? We have a diffuser in our bus, and we like those essential oils, frankincense and myrrh and, and joy and those different types of oils. And we like to put them in the diffuser and of course that spreads that smell. My daughter will light it at night right before we go to bed. She'll fire it up and just a few minutes that permeates the entire section of the bus from the back all the way to the front. And to understand, my friend, that is what God desires to do in us in sanctification. He desires for sanctification to permeate the entire being of the believer. This is not just a set of rules. It's not just a series of changes. It is an absolute transformation that literally changes the whole being of the believer. Notice what I'm talking about, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, a scripture we've looked at once. We'll look at it three times total tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible says, In the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. By the way, God's a trichotomist, just in case you didn't know that, amen. Uh, well, that went over like a lead balloon, amen. By the way, the trichotomy of man pictures the trinity of God, and it magnifies and, and of course, points to that. Notice what he said as he breaks down the being of man. He says, I pray God your whole spirit, number one, and soul, number two, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a whole sanctification 
is going to sanctify every part and piece of the being of the believer. That is God's desire. It is an absolute permeation of sanctification. Now, take your Bible, if you would, flip back to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I want you to see tonight that sanctification is a total transformation of the believer. I hope that somebody will get excited about Ephesians chapter 4 by the time we're done tonight, amen, because I'm going to tell you what, it is a glorious chapter of scripture, amen, it's absolutely so full, it's unbelievable how much God has put in here that I've discovered to this point, amen, in my own personal life, and I'm excited about finding a whole lot more in the verses even that we'll look at tonight, but uh, let me just very quickly talk to you about the natural flow of the second half of the book of Ephesians here. Uh, The Lord, of course, first of all, gives us the formula for sanctification. Uh, Verse 22, 23, 24, the process is simple. God puts all the cookies on the bottom shelf where everybody can get one. Amen. He wants all of us to understand his word. He's made it plain and simple. Put the King James Bible on a fifth grade level. He wants us to understand that we must put off every day. We must put in every day, be renewed. And we must put on the new man every single day. This is the process. Now... Say, well, I'm not sure I totally understood this morning's message. Well, let me just be honest with you. I'm not sure that I've totally understood this morning's message. Amen. There's times I listen to it and say, I can't believe I said that. What was I talking about? Amen. But the truth is, uh, none of us totally understand God's word. None of us have a total grasp on it. But I like the fact that God knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties and failures. So the rest of this chapter of scripture is an explanation and an illustration, in fact it's four illustrations of those very th- those three truths that we just looked at. The whole formula is three parts. God says, okay, you don't understand it, let me illustrate it with an everyday sin that is common to every person. I'll show you how the three-point process works every day in this sin. So I'm, sure, I'm not sure I still get it here. I- I'm still wondering about this, okay. God gives us a second illustration. And all three parts of the process are seen a second time. And thank God he knows we're dumb and simple. And so he gives it to us yet a third illustration. And by the time you get to the end of Ephesians chapter 4, the Lord has now illustrated with four different illustrations exactly how these three parts work and how we're supposed to process these every single day in our life. Above and beyond that, the natural flow of Ephesians 4 is towards a mountaintop. It's towards a pinnacle. It's towards a a, a truth that maybe resides even above other truths. And that truth is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, we understand that uh, the process of the canonization of Scripture, the rejection of the Apocrypha, we understand that chapter divisions were added later. But let me just say this. I'm not so sure chapter divisions were quote-unquote inspired, amen, but I do believe God led in them, amen? And there's no doubt God superintended even when the chapter divisions were put in. Let me say this. One of the places I guarantee you they nailed it was right here. For this chapter comes to a pinnacle and a grand truth, my friend, that summarizes the entire content of the second half of the chapter that it closes out and starts right up in another strain of truth and doctrine and it's just amazing how the (coughs) natural flow of this is towards a great grand truth that we'll study here in just a moment so let's jump in and look at this tonight notice again we see three parts where to put off be renewed in the spirit of our mind and then put on now God says okay you don't get that let me illustrate it for you Watch verse number 25 for the first illustration and explanation of this process. 
he says, wherefore? Now, you understand, when that wherefore is there, then you've got to find out what it's there for. Amen? And the wherefore references the process we just studied. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, I want you to notice all three parts are in this verse of Scripture, but let me discuss this with you for a moment. Wherefore, putting away lying. You understand that there's a lot of people who think the total sum of Christian living and the total sum of holiness and righteousness in reference to the sin of lying is just this. I don't lie that much anymore. I'm a pretty good Christian. Can I say something to you? I know some people that I don't believe have ever been saved by the grace of God that have us beat in that area. You know, I've met some people I believe are saved, and yet they've got a problem with lying. I've met some I don't doubt whatsoever. You say, well, how could they do that and still be a Christian? How can you do the sin you do and still be a Christian? Amen? Their sin might just be different than yours, but I believe there are some people that are truly saved by the grace of God, and yet they honestly struggle with this sin of lying. I don't personally struggle with that sin. I struggle with a lot of other sins. You don't have time to list them all tonight. I promise you that. But the truth is, there are saved people that struggle with lying. On the other hand, there, again, there's lost people that I have met. They were brought up, and their daddy taught them that there's anything I can't stand, it's a liar. And I believe, my friend, many of those lost people have lived much of their life telling very, very few lies. My point is this. If the total sum of Christianity is just, I don't lie that much anymore, there's even lost people who have beat us in that and have attained even further than us in the area of lying. But my friend, that's not the total sum of Christianity, just that we don't lie that much anymore. There's supposed to be a total transformation of our life. Notice what your Bible says. It says, wherefore, putting away lying, watch this, speak every man truth, with his neighbor. Now here's the process. Here's how I'll illustrate it. You put off. He says putting away lying. Then, of course, we, we know you have to have the truth. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then he says, he says, speak every man truth with his neighbor. So the way the believer does it is, and the way the sanctification process works is this. I don't lie anymore. I have put off that old man. I'm constantly in a process of putting off lying. What I do now, though, is I'm positive. I'm proactive. I make sure that everything that does come out of my mouth, I'm speaking truth with my neighbor in everything that I say. So not only am I not lying anymore, but I'm making sure that I'm speaking the truth with everybody that I talk to. You say, well, I don't see the truth part in the middle or the putting in. I see the putting off lying. I see the speaking every man truth with his neighbor. But watch, here's the truth of it. Here's the middle. Here's the putting in. And they're not necessarily in order in these verses, but all three elements are here he said why why should i put it off why should i put on the new man for we are members one of another now watch this let me talk about your local church suppose brother glenn decides he's going to lie to somebody who's a member of the local church and brother glenn says well you don't understand my friend it might it might hurt them but it don't hurt me at all can i just say something to you if i lay my hand down on this pulpit I say, somebody bring me a five-pound sledgehammer. Amen? You bring me a five-pound sledgehammer. I say, you know what? I'm going to smack myself in the hand, but I'm not going to feel it because it's my hand. It's not really me. Amen? You're going to sit there and say, you're not that stupid, are you? Well, actually, I'm half Polish. Amen? Anyway, uh, that's the bad half, and the Italian half's the confused half. So anyway, it all works out in the end. But I take that five-pound sledgehammer, and I say, well! I say, see? 
after it hurt me a bit because it stopped me, it's just my hand. And you're calling 199, amen, and trying to, trying to get somebody to help me. The truth is, there's no way that I can do that. But why? Because my hand is a part of the body. And what the Bible is saying is this. It says, look, you are members one of another. There is no way that you can lie to another member of the body without hurting them, without hurting yourself. And since you're a part of that body, you're getting hurt. Everybody in the body is getting hurt. It absolutely tears down the entire body, including your own spiritual life if you are a liar and so God says put away lying make sure you speak every man truth with his neighbor because if you don't you will have a tendency to destroy the entire local church body if you begin to lie in the local church to understand just in reference to one sin lying I put it off I understand that I will tear down the work of God, myself, and everybody else who's a part of the body. I put that truth in, and then I go forth with that truth, and I say, now I'm going to be proactive, and I'm going to positively make sure that I speak the truth of my neighbor in everything that I say. There is a complete transformation with the application of these three truths. Say, preacher, I'm not sure I see it real clear yet. I'm glad that God knew we were dummies, amen, myself first and included, and so he gives us yet... Another illustration, but now with the sin of stealing. Now, I know what you're thinking. Why would you tell that to a Baptist church? Ain't no Baptist ever stole nothing. You're dumber than a box of rocks, friend. I've got news for you. I've known some Baptist people. You know, the big joke really is don't ever loan a Baptist your lawnmower unless you never want to see it again. Amen? They'll not steal it. They'll just. Somebody must have loaned a lawnmower here again. <laughs> no, they don't steal it. They just. Borrow it for an extended period of time without prior notice with no uh, desire to return it. Amen. And the truth is, yes, I've known people. They were saved and they were money men in the church and they counted the money. I mean that one time they served God, gave a whole lot. And for some reason the devil got in their life. They might have hit financial problems. And they were just as saved as you and me. But they actually, when nobody was looking, took a $20 bill and put it in their pocket. Say, how could anybody do that? How could you do the sin that you do as a believer, friend? I mean, listen, it makes no difference. God is talking to the church of Ephesus. He's talking to believers. These are sin that are common in our churches among saved people. I know we like to wash our hands to it and say we'd never do that. We're, we're, we're capable of every sin in the Bible, my friend, even as a believer. And so watch this. Let him that stole steal no more. And somebody says, well, I'm a good Christian. Why? Because I don't steal that much anymore. My friend, there's a whole lot more to it than just quitting some action. It is a transformation. What do you do? And why do you do what you do? There's two parts you're missing. And much of our Christianity has been based on a list of do's and a list of don'ts. These are the things I don't do. These are the things preacher makes me do. And there's really no transformed life involved with it. And yet God said, let him that stole, steal no more. There's the putting off. What does he do? But rather, let him labor. Here's the putting on. Working with his hands, the thing which is good. That's an odd thing to say to a thief. It's an odd thing to say about a thief. Don't steal, but labor. Actually, it's not. For most men steal because they're too sorry to work for that which they want. 
They're too sorry to go out and work the extra hour, sweat and toil, and get the money to honestly acquire the things that they desire, so they just go and steal it. And God says, don't you steal anymore. Get that out of your life. Put those things off. Depart from iniquity. Rather, let this man now be proactive. Let him be positive. Let him work with his hands of faith to steal. He doesn't sit on his duff anymore wait for somebody else to provide something he can steal. He gets up and he goes out and he spends the rest of his life working hard so he can have the thing which he once stole. Now he is working for it. Okay, so it goes from here from a thief all the way over to here to a hard working man who's getting the things he wants for an honest uh, job and he's pleasing God but you say I don't see the middle part there where's the truth that he's supposed to act upon. Watch this. That he may have to give to him that needeth. You understand, my friend, there's a truth in here that drives a person from being a thief to being a hard worker. And here it is. It's the same truth that Jesus gave. It's been called one of the most disbelieved principles or truths in all of the word of God. Namely, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. And now the same man finds out, man, listen, I spent my life taking from people. I spent my life stealing that which others have worked for. And I could have been expending my life according to the word of God, being a giver and being a blessing and helping somebody help and encouraging somebody that doesn't have what I've got, supporting a missionary, helping a church out, helping a poor person, buying somebody a bag of groceries, going to visit a hospital, giving and giving. Isn't that what Jesus was and is all about? He gave himself on the cross of Calvary. And so what's the Bible saying? Don't steal anymore. Understand that you can give to him that needeth and spend your life being like the Lord Jesus Christ. You then take that truth and spend the rest of your life working and laboring with your hands, not for yourself now, but to give and be a need meter looking for somebody that needs what you've worked for. It takes you from here as a thief all the way over here to somebody who's working because he's going to expend his life like Jesus Christ, giving and giving and giving. It is an entire transformation of the being. It's a whole lot more than, yeah, I'm saved and I don't steal that much anymore because preachers said Christians don't steal much. My friend, it is a transformation of thought and belief and principle and doctrine. It changes our very soul and spirit and makes us live differently based on the truth of God's word. This is biblical sanctification. Now let's go a little further. See, I'm not sure I get it yet. Well, God was sure we wouldn't get it yet. Amen. So he gave us yet in the same chapter another illustration. Now here's one for you. I know I should be down at the mess of dust church. Amen. They're the only sinners around, right? No, right here in our independent Baptist churches, we've got a problem with corrupt communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Here's where most Christians are at. Here's what's been taught for too many years is fleshly Christian living by a set of rules. I don't cuss and chew and run with them that do. (laughs) And there's really no spirit at all about it. No transformed life. Again, it's a list of things that I just don't do. But watch this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You say, why would you tell us that? Because there's Baptist people that have corrupt communication proceeding out of their mouth. You know, there's a trend that's been going on for quite some time. Preachers are considered now tough if they throw out a cuss word once in a while in the very pulpit of God. Amen. 
standing behind the pulpit, <clears throat> saying off-color things, <clears throat> using words that are even biblical sometimes in unbiblical fashion, throwing them around in vulgarity. And I say to you, my friend, it is. It's as wicked as a devil. And every one of those idle words is going to have to be given account for someday. Man, I pray that some of the stupid messages I preach as a young preacher are long gone and nobody ever hears them. Amen? I'm just saying we've got to be careful about the words that come out of our mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You all heard maybe the story of the young man. This has happened probably thousands of times across America. Young man gets saved, gets a job. Happens to get a job where the deacon of 25 years works. And uh, one night they're at work after a couple of weeks. And one of the fellows comes by and says, hey, preach. He says, uh, that guy there, you know, old Joe so-and-so, he, he goes down to the church you go to, right? Yes, sir, he goes down there. Yeah, he's deacon. Yeah, he's been there many years. He's, he's a good Christian. He's been saved a lot longer than me. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, so... You know, I was just going to ask you, you know, how comes he comes down and tells all the filthy jokes with us? How comes, you know, he's been here for many years and he, he's got the filthiest jokes of them all. We feel like he, we can just treat him like one of the guys. He goes out and gets a drink once in a while with us. And why is it that whenever we're around you, we feel like we've got to go to church or, or read our Bible and we just don't even feel like cussing? What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. There's some people think they can live a double life. They can go down at work and they're so embarrassed and ashamed of the Savior that bought them with his, with his own blood. My friend, listen, that they're, they're using this filthy kind of language. And the Bible says to the believer, not to the lost man, to the believer. By the way, the lost man can't do this. Only the believer can do this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I'm a good Christian. I don't cuss. There's more to it than that, friend. Because that's the putting off. What's the putting on? But that which is good to the use of edifying. Not only do I not cuss, how many of us guard our tongue? Make sure we don't tear down. How many of us guard our tongue? Make sure that we're lifting up and encouraging and being a blessing and talking about God and talking about Scripture and changing the subject of spiritual things instead of the gutter. You understand there's a putting on, but there's also a putting on. And that, my friend, is listen, that which is good to the use of edifying, that's the only thing supposed to come out of my mouth. So we see the putting off, the putting on. You say, but where's the truth in the middle there? Where's that putting in? Watch this. <laughs> that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Why should I put on? And what should I put on? Listen, let me tell you how great this truth is, all right? How we act upon this. <clears throat> I want to speak edification, everybody. I get to be a minister of grace. I don't know if we understand the magnitude of that statement. Let me explain something to you. <clears throat> Grace is a heavenly commodity that we cannot muster up. We can't produce. We really can't control. You understand grace is a gift from God. The biblical definition of grace is found in Ephesians 2. It is his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. We got out of bed today by the grace of God. We breathe His air by His grace. We walk and talk by His grace. We minister by His grace. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we'll ever be, it is all enabled by the grace of God. And God is the fountainhead of grace, the only source of grace, the only place to get grace. He is in control of it. And without Him, there is no grace. Might as well say amen to all that because it's all biblical truth. And yet God says, you know what? If you'll surrender to me and submit to me, 
live the sanctified life and depart from iniquity and yield to the Holy Spirit power and Holy Spirit control. He said, listen, you may be a minister to minister my grace unto the hearers. God said, I'll send my grace down through you. You'll become a vessel. You'll become a channel. And I'll minister my grace through your life. You understand when we're preaching, we're dishing out the grace of God as God is working through us. When we're witnessing, we're sharing and proclaiming the grace of God. God is working through us and ministering His grace to somebody. What a profound and amazing truth. What an amazing, awesome responsibility, but a blessing. God would allow you and I, fallen creatures, to not only be saved, but to be vessels to be able to go around and minister the grace of God to other people. And so here's the truth. I don't cuss and say corrupt, filthy things anymore. I don't let it come out of my mouth. Why? Because I discovered one day God would allow me to be a minister of his grace. And if I'd keep my mouth pure and if I'd speak only the things as unto the oracles of God and if I'd just let his truth flow through me, I could go and I could just say those things that are good to the use of edifying the believer and I have become a vessel that God can put his grace through into somebody else's life. It is a complete transformation I don't say filthy things I have chosen to spend my life being a minister of God's grace therefore God speaks through me and I speak only those things on a proactive side I'm putting on that new man making sure that I'm edifying the person that's listening to what I've got to say it's a complete transformation it is a far cry more than yep I'm a good Christian I don't cuss hardly ever my friend We're missing the changed life and sanctification. It's more than a list of things I don't do. It is an absolute transformation and permeation of the entire being. Listen, my friend, it is a slow motion, as it were, change into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to be in the midst of it, allowing God to have full control every day as he's molding and making us into that image of Jesus. So I'm not sure I get it yet, preacher. You lost me. Well... Apparently the Lord knew we needed four illustrations. Amen? So he gave us yet another one. And it's almost like he says this. You know what? I'm going to tell you what. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the sin problem is in your life, sanctification is the answer. No matter what you're struggling with, there has to be a repentance, there has to be a confession, and there has to be a forsaking. No matter how great the sin, how long the sin, how deep-rooted the sin, there always has to be a time when you go to the Scripture and God reveals to you the person, the attributes, and the power, and the face of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when you see that truth, my friend, in the Scripture, there always has to be a putting on of the new man. No matter what our sin problem is, the answer is the sanctification process. Notice what he said in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. There's your putting off with all malice. Put that away too while you're at it, he said. Watch this. What am I supposed to? What's a new man then? And be kind one to another. Wow. Kindness. Be kind one to another. And watch this. Tender hearted. 
Oh my. A small little word and a little verse of scripture that could change so many things in our lives. How many problems could be averted? How many marriages could be saved? How many churches wouldn't be split? You name the problem, a tender-hearted person in the midst of a major crisis or problem is a game-changing individual. My friend, this broken-hearted, tender-heartedness, God said, don't do any of those sins. Now, I want you to watch this, folks. I want you to see this before I forget to tell you this part, because this is awesome. God said, don't do bitterness, don't do wrath, don't do anger, don't do clamor, don't speak evil. Let's back up. Don't let corrupt communication come out. Don't steal anymore. Don't be angry. He said, uh, 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 don't lie anymore. He says, don't do all those things. Now watch this. God does not say, don't do all those things, but do these things. Watch what he says. He says, don't do all those things, but be this. You see, there's a huge difference. I didn't just quit certain things. The principle of replacement in the Bible is not, I don't do that, now I do this. It's I don't do that. God changes me. I've got no desire to do that. And now I do this in the glory, power, and grace of Almighty God because my life has been changed. A lost man can quit stuff and start different stuff. A lost man can pick himself up by the bootstraps and turn his life around, as it were, physically speaking. There's nuns in monasteries have quit far more than you and I'll ever quit. My friend, there's nuns and there's aesthetic people. There's uh, uh, Gandhi and all these different people. They've quit stuff. They've cut themselves. They've starved themselves to death. It's not just in quitting a bunch of things and doing other things. It is putting those things off because we repudiate them. We've confessed them before God and we're sorry in our heart for them. And then he says, and be ye kind. It's a transformation, not of action necessarily, but primarily of the being it's a holy ghost change well i don't do this because the holy ghost has power over me can i tell you i do not need to walk around like this every day just making sure i don't have to do that making sure i'm not bitter just making sure i'm not wrathful i do need this book don't get me wrong i've got to put the truth in but i don't have to say let me see here's what i'm supposed to do here's what i'm not supposed to do because the holy spirit of god my friend will control and lead and guide us into the truth that we have stowed and hidden in our hearts. Now watch this. <clears throat> Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, and watch this, forgiving one another. That's the positive side. I put all these things away. Now I'm kind, I'm tender-hearted, and I'm forgiving. So I don't see where the truth is. Where's the putting in? Here's the truth of this fourth illustration. And it is the truth and the pinnacle of the passage. And it also reveals to us the person and the focal point of sanctification. It's Christ Jesus the man. Watch this. It says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This is awesome to me. Amen. Let me get this straight. I can't mistreat anyone. I can't drag them down. I can't push them away from God. I can't be a bad testimony. Can't lie to them. Can't steal from them. Can't cuss at them. Can't talk evil to them. I'm supposed to edify them. Why? Why should I forgive them? Why should I be tenderhearted when they wrong me? Why should I be loving and kind and compassionate to them? Because they're 
more to Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible said, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, he's the example. If Christ could forgive me for all the filthy, rotten, terrible things I've done prior to salvation, since I've been saved, things I'm going to probably fall into down the road. He knew all of it when he hung on the cross. How can I not then forgive everyone, be tenderhearted and kind and compassionate and loving to them? How can I not do that when Jesus did it all for me? As low and sorry and filthy as I am. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then remember, as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, here's the truth. Now watch this. Then you go be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving one another. Remembering that major truth at the pinnacle of sanctification, the focal point of it all. Because the truth I have in my heart now is Christ forgave me. How can I not forgive you? Christ loved me. How can I not love you? Christ came to me. How can I not come to where you are? I rebelled against Jesus and he kept coming. How can I not love you even when you slam the door in my face? You understand when Christ becomes the focus and when Christ becomes the pinnacle and when we're, we're believing in sanctification, not just do's and don'ts, it completely changes our outlook. It changes our soul, our spirit, our body. It is a complete transformation. Don't do that, but be the kind of person that never forgets what Jesus has done for us. And then we become that vessel unto honor, sanctified and listen, and then meet, meet, man, for the master's use. A perfect fit to whatever God wants to use us for. That's what we become only when we allow him to change us and transform us. You mark it down. You're not going to live life very good for Jesus unless we put off constantly and are going to departure from iniquity. We're getting the truth of Almighty God and taking it as it is absolutely the very words of Almighty God on a page spoken to us and taking that and stowing it in our heart and then saying, okay, God, now I'm going to live what this book says by your grace and power live through me. <clears throat> now, a lot more I could say. Take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I told you I was going to take you back to this scripture and really... When I look at this, right on the heels of Ephesians 4, it's just amazing how this fits. The Bible said, in the very God of peace. By the way, that's what you have when you're walking with God, peace. Sanctify you, holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be blameless. I want to have a good report of those that are within, those that are without. I don't want there to be any sinner to say, I didn't love them. I didn't care for them. I don't want there to be any saint that says, I didn't forgive them. I didn't have compassion on them. And I can have that blameless life if I will submit to the sanctification process and stay in it and live that spirit-filled life that God wants me to live. Now, let me show you one thing lastly tonight. Not only... Do we see that permeation of sanctification? But I want you to see lastly something that just really encourages my heart. And that is the promise of sanctification. What is the promise of sanctification? I love this part. 
drop down to verse 24, right on the heels of verse 23. Faithful is he that calleth you. Calleth you to what? To sanctification. To complete sanctification. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he told us there in our initial opening passage. That's what he's told us in everything we've looked at today. Faithful is he who calleth you who also will, will, I love that, will do it. God will sanctify us. By the way, you understand that we that are saved by the grace of God, we were foreordained, my friend, and predestinated to sanctification. That doesn't mean God chose some to go to heaven, some to go to hell. It doesn't mean it's not a whosoever will gospel. It simply means that, my friend, God knew who was going to be saved by the grace of God. And he pre-willed and pre-ordained and foreordained in eternity past that everyone that got saved by the grace of God, he promised he was going to ultimately sanctify them and make them completely into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible here testifies again to that who says who he will also do it. Now you can you can face this truth and act upon it one of two ways. You can say, well, God's going to do it anyways. Right? I'm going to be like Jesus. He started the process. He'll finish it. God promised and he can't lie. So therefore, I think I'm just going to go for the gusto and eventually I'll be like Jesus. You'll be like Jesus. And we'll all just sing Kumbaya and everything will be okay. I'm just going to party, man, and do what I want. Because, you know, after all, the Christian life, it gets hard, man. It gets tough, you know. Why don't we just sit back? We'll all be like Jesus someday. Can I say to you, if you're really saved, and that's your attitude, and that's your spirit, you need some major repentance in your life. You're backslid as a devil. But I believe there might be some people, my friend, who are really frustrating the grace of God in that way. The whole idea I talked about as we opened this morning. Well, God knows I'm a sinner. You know, he knew that. He kind of got a deal going. He knows my faults. So therefore, I don't work on any of them. I don't ever grow at all. I come to church and scrutinize the preacher and tip God 20 bucks a week whether he needs it or not. You know, I show up for soul winning once a year just to give my preacher a heart attack. You know, that kind of attitude. You can, you can look at this scripture that way. He's going to do it. Yeah, he'll do it. You'll get in by the skin of your teeth. And boy, you'll weep bitter tears when you see him. And you'll be sorry when you look into holy eyes of fire and see those holes in his hands and the holes in his feet that he bore for you and bears for you through eternity. We can look at this another way. If God is that faithful, knowing how filthy and rotten I would be before, while I'm saved into the future, if he would still promise to make me like Jesus, knowing what an abject failure of a Christian I am, and you are many times. How could I not want to just give everything to Jesus? How could I not want to reciprocate that kind of love that I do not even understand? But if there's some way I can say thank you, Jesus, in this life, by, by, by allowing him to use me as a bright light to shine his gospel into this lost world, praise God I want to do that. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So, as your pastor said, to stay status quo is sin. <clears throat> There's nobody in here. I've, I've known a lot of men who memorize a lot of scripture. Some of them, the whole Bible. And can I say to you, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It matters this. Have you walked with God today? Will you walk with God tomorrow? 
and will you walk with God every day? I'm sorry, I know what Dr. Howells preached one time, and I'm not afraid to tell it to you. This idea of building up merits and points, you know, this this idea where you can just build up grace with God, then, you know, you can expand it, and God don't look at it that bad. That's a bunch of hogwash. Jesus Christ wants to hold my hand and me walk with him and depend on him completely. Holy Ghost dependence, my friend, is something that has to be, it, it has to be surrendered to God every single day. I need you. I can't do anything. And it's not just a prayer. It is a hard attitude. And it is a, it is a daily prayer and belief of, of every one of our hearts. God, I need you. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. And I can't do it without your sanctification process. I pray. See, here it is. That clay in the Old Testament, man, I'll tell you what. It had a problem and it wasn't in the potter. And the problem in me today, it's, it's not the potter. If I've got a problem tonight, if you've got a sin problem tonight, it's in us. It's the clay. We're hard. We're not pliable. And I pray that we'll be able to be sanctified, be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. I pray that we'll experience a personal revival that God wants us to have. Amen. I pray that we'll understand the blessing of being able to be a giver like Jesus, to be able to be a minister of grace like God wants us to be. And I pray that we will constantly be applying the scripture and yielding to the God of heaven. I'll tell you what, sanctification, folks, it's a lot bigger than a lot of people think it is in this book. To God, it is everything. He wants us in that process every single day. Father, I love you. Lord, thank you for simple Bible truth, Lord. And although I know that I many times butcher your word and I just don't do it justice, God, thank you that the word of God itself never returns void. Thank you, Lord God, that you can speak to us and your word can change us and help us. Father, thank you for what you've done in my life to this point.